Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. All the business and statistical and policy news has been about inflation and how horrible it is and what the effect is going to be. Yes, yes, and possibly yes. Uh, but what does inflation really look like? And beyond inflation, what's going to happen this spring in the Carolinas? I'm Chris William and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each and every week across North and South Carolina. Thank you for supporting it as long as you have. We will start our program in just a second. Later on, he is the chief financial officer for the Old North State. Treasurer Dale Falwell returns. We start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Tony Macia of the Charlotte Ledger, Peter Bruce from the Darla Moore School of Business, University of South Carolina, and special guest, Dale Folwell, North Carolina Treasurer. Hello and welcome. Gentlemen, welcome. It has literally been almost exactly two years since we were in this configuration, regular program again, thank you. Uh, for driving in, Peter, for coming from Columbia. Tony, I know it was all of, what, maybe a 10-minute? About 10 minutes, can, right. Can you, but thanks for the effort there, sure. brother. Uh, a lot of effort. Uh, Tony, uh, let's talk about this inflation thing at the top of the program. I know a couple weeks ago it was a pretty big number. Surprised some, not surprised some. Plus 7% inflation statistically, year-to-date, year-over-year, however you want to cut it. But what does that really look like for people, for businesses, and how, how punitive is this going to be in your, in your going forward, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it just cuts It's all across the board. I mean, we're seeing numbers we haven't seen on inflation in, you know, in decades. And so for people who are used to things staying kind of the same price, you know, they're changing. You see it at the supermarket. You see it at restaurants. Businesses are having to build in more money. We're talking about higher wages. I mean, it's always the question, are the wages keeping up? with the higher prices. Right. Um, it, just, it, it just plays out really across the board. We had a piece in the Charlotte Ledger recently talking about, you know, off-duty police officers, the, the pay is going way up. So that means that if you're a daycare and you need a, a officer directing traffic, it's gonna cost you a lot more. It's just going up across the board, you know, it's something that businesses are just gonna have to deal with. D Dean, um, inflation, everyone has talked about mm. inflation, but there's been so much liquidity in the system, it hasn't slowed mm. people down from spending. How do you square those two? Well, they're related. And the reason that they are related is people have got so much accumulated spending power that they are spending and that's what's causing the inflation. So, you, you know, you've got a couple of things that have come together in this very unusual time. You have a supply chain that is very, very constrained. 
you have people changing their expenditure patterns because instead of going to services, they're looking for stuff for their houses. They're looking for pelotons. They're looking for things that, you know, two years ago, nobody really thought of at that level. And that causes massive adjustments. And I'm not surprised by, by the inflation. And uh, I suspect it's, it's going to peak in the middle of this year and then and dissipate. Do you think that, that would be my guess? Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Peter. Uh, do you oh. think it's going to, I mean, last year it was a blowout when it came to summer travel and expenditures. Mm. Is that really going to slow down this year? I don't think we're going to see a return to the sort of services expenditures we saw before the pandemic. And I think people may decide that they're not going to eat in restaurants as much mm -hmm. because they've learned other things. But I think absent that, we'll go back to normal, I, I guess, in a couple of years, and we will just look back on this as a time of interest and learn something mm -hmm. from it. And how but I think there will be a change. I just ask, I mean, how much of this do you think is attributable to, to government policy, to the, you know, the, the Fed, to, to the, the fiscal policy side of things, the COVID relief money? I mean, how much, is, how much juice is there out there? Is that really fueling well, all this? Well, the, the sort of amateur economist in me says, when you expand the money supply the way that we have done, you are going to see inflation. And I think to some degree it has been propelled by that. However, had the money supply not been expanded, had the steps not been taken, we would have adjustments on the market side and we would have had a much bigger drop in our economy. So it's a really difficult trade-off. And I actually happen to think the trade-off has been run reasonably well. And I think if we have to stop it quickly, they will. And I, I think the Feds are, you know, the Fed is pretty well, you know, averse at what to do with inflation. And I think if they have to go quickly, they will. Let, let's shift gears for just a second. Let's talk about something Charlotte specific, the Charlotte region specific. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was some controversy about an executive director hired for the mayor's racial initi initiative. Uh, you call it a task force, but it's an initiative. It's not a small amount of money. It's 250 million. A couple of years before that, maybe three years before that, Charlotte was very successful in pooling money for also an upward mobility uh, study as well as what was hoped to be an initiative. These were both very important uh, moments heralded at the time, but seemed to have been sidetracked, starting and stopping in initiatives by maybe policy, maybe leadership. What does that say about a town like Charlotte that has resources but seems to get sidetracked? Yeah, I mean, these are obviously huge problems and challenges that a lot of cities have, Chris, you know, and, it, you know, there was that, that major study that you mentioned a few years ago that ranked Charlotte 50th out of 50 in major cities in terms of economic mobility. The people at the, the very bottom rungs of our society mm -hmm. can't, can't make it to the top rungs in, in Charlotte worse than other places. And so that really focused a lot of attention on on the problem. It's been years, they spent years trying to address it. Um, both the political leadership, you know, civic and business leadership, you know, task forces, studies, uh, you know, so there's a lot of interest in it, but I don't know, like you're saying, that the follow through and the actual results, I think we've kind of yet to yet to see. And so there's, um, you know, so a lot of questions I think about how they, how, how you go forward, how mm -hmm. you address some of these problems that a lot of cities are struggling with. And Peter, just a, it's kind of the same su subject, Dean Bruce, but the idea that, and this is going to be a broad question, but do we have too much money for our own good? Both states now have billions of dollars mm -hmm. in surplus. Do we make good decisions when we have so much money to spread around? Or do we mm -hmm. pick and choose? And I'm not just talking about this issue in Charlotte, but in general, 
Both general assemblies have been very slow about allocating what surplus is, that's mm -hmm. good, but that's bad. So the bigger question, do we have too much affluence? Do we have too much money? So I can tell you it's an interesting data point you ask. Many years ago, a comment was made in the business literature, but that's you know, companies that have got lots of money's innovation rate is lower than those that are more stressed. And there is an impact if you have too much. I, I think that that's a general statement you can make. However, I'm also very pleased that they've been pretty careful about where they're going to spend the money. And I do think that the, the more important question is not whether you have too much or too little, but what you do with it and where it's allocated. And to me, that's a dominant question. The rest doesn't really matter. Do you feel like those who make policy are being very careful about allocating it? Too careful or, or just about right? Well, we don't really know yet in South Carolina exactly where the money is going to go. So I can't comment on the quality of where the allocation is. All I can tell you is that we still are you know, being careful because yeah. we haven't yet spent it. Okay, gentlemen, yeah. thank you. I guess it's a good question to ask our next guest because he knows a little something about finances in the state of North Carolina. Before we do that, coming up on this program uh, in the next couple of weeks, she is the president of one of two female HBCUs in this country. Her name is President Suzanne Walsh of Bennett College in Guilford County, North Carolina, Greensboro. And then a special panel program around chasing happiness. What is happiness? Is it really that important? And does it make us happy? I know it's not much of a business question, but we're gonna chase happiness. This man is pretty important to the finances of the old North State, not just because he's the treasurer, but because he understands it. He sits atop the fiduciary responsibility of the state's pension fund over $122 billion now, among other things, including the health care for workers of the state, but also as a legislator in his own time, so he understands policy. We welcome back to our program uh, the Honorable Treasurer of the State of North Carolina, Dale Falwell. Your Honor, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Sir, let's start with the inflation question. Um, we talk about this huge print, what many people will call a print, around inflation, well over 7%. Um, Treasurer Falwell, does it, how, how hard is this going to hit families, and what does it look like over the summer? As a person who used to pump gasoline in the early 70s in Winston-Salem, uh, I've seen inflation in, in living color. A lot of people in this generation have not. Uh, and inflation is a thief especially it's a thief to those lower and fixed income people of our state. And how it, it's not when people think about inflation or see it uh -huh. as they're seeing it now, it's when they start to believe it's here and it's never gonna go away. That's what I experienced in the 73 to 76 time period. So it's a thief and especially a thief to lower and fixed income people because they have nothing to inflate. So what they're seeing is it's costing them more to live, more to eat, more to stay, cool or stay warm and obviously more to drive back and forth mm -hmm. to work and it's particularly of interest to us at the treasurer's office for a couple of different reasons we're managing about 250 billion dollars now when you add everything together and uh, it's like the old Paul Simon song one man's ceilings another man's floor you know higher interest rates are uh, not good for people who are investing in their minds or businesses or or buying a house but higher interest rates are good for a large pension plans like ours because we have about $50 billion mm -hmm. sitting in things that are in interest. But on the other hand, inflation, we're seeing enormous, gigantic inflation with healthcare and prescription drug costs. 
in the state health plan of the treasurer's office. So we sort of see it both ways. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a thief, especially to lower and fixed income people. Yeah. Tony, question? Yeah, I um, want to ask you, you mentioned the health care. Mm -hmm. I know, speaking of health care, I know you've been fairly critical, I think mm -hmm. it's safe to say, of some of the large health systems mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. North Carolina. Are, are you seeing any progress in terms of trying them to get them to, um, you know, to lower their, their costs, or is it just sort of a matter of the bully pulpit shining some light? I would say that, uh, and I used to stutter, so I was advised when I was at Winston-Salem State and UNC Greensboro to I was struggling to find the right word to go to the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, I've defined what's going on in North Carolina as a cartel and cartel-like activities. And that's a very strong word for your viewers, except when you go to the dictionary, it's defined as an association which is formed to restrict competition or raise prices. We are seeing the consolidation of health care into the hands of fewer and fewer multi-million dollar executives who run these multi-billion dollar corporations who disguise themselves as nonprofits. And the result of this from every study across the world is that this consolidation is going to lead to lower quality, lower access, and higher cost. As the fiduciary of nearly 750,000 of those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve, and taxpayers like them, I'm in favor of higher quality, higher access, and lower cost. And what's happening is as this power gets concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people, we're ultimately talking about a product healthcare that people don't want to consume because that would mean they weren't sick. When they try to inquire what it costs, they're told it's none of their business. And then when they don't pay for something they didn't want to consume and didn't know what it cost, then they have the potential of having their credit rating destroyed. So we're simply attacking this problem. We're not attacking the people that actually do the work of healthcare, who actually saved my life in March of 2020 when I was an early contractor of COVID. We're actually talking about not about the workers of healthcare, but about how the power is concentrated in the hands of so many fewer people. And it doesn't matter if it's former treasurer Harlan Bowles or state alter Beth Wood or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or even Elizabeth Warren over the last two years. Healthcare, things associated with healthcare are the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States. And it's, it's immoral for what's happening. So are, are you seeing any progress or, or is it just mostly no. Highlighting what's going on. Well, the progress should be when the we have we've had a president recently. Now we have a new president. Something they both agree on. The previous president issued an executive order that said that hospitals need to provide transparency in their product. The hospital association sued the previous president, and this was paraphrasing their quote: "We don't think telling people what things cost lead them to making better decisions." I know the dean would absolutely disagree with that. I think Darla Moore would disagree with it too. <laughs> that was their exact quote. Mm -hmm. And so they defied the president's executive order and then current President Biden took previous president's order and didn't do away with it, actually strengthened the penalties on it. And now he's being sued over it. The fact is we're talking about an industry that continues to operate in secret, does not want the people to know what they're paying and we're seeing ranges for the same procedure from six to $60,000 for the exact same procedure in the same building. Okay, Dean. And Mr. Treasurer, I don't want to, this is such an important topic. If I would like a follow-up, let's yeah, continue please. talking about this. Uh, healthcare costs are now over 20% of our GDP. Mm -hmm. And effectively, healthcare is bankrupting our country, never mind our individual citizens as you speak. Mm -hmm. What have you seen in the state of North Carolina at your level about the increase in costs following COVID? Mm -hmm. And where are we with what it's doing to the state, the overall cost of healthcare to our state? 
Well, healthcare, as bad as inflation is that, uh, that Tony talked about a few moments ago, I mean, healthcare costs are going, and prescription drug costs are going up at twice that pace. And, you know, I'm a big motorcyclist. We're not talking about whether you can afford a Ducati. We're talking about whether you can actually afford to maintain it and ride it. So we're not talking about people just being able to afford a health insurance premium. We're talking about them being able to afford to get sick because of the deductibles and co-pays that happen with this. So COVID has obviously made all this tremendously worse. But I can tell you that, for example, one healthcare company here in, in Charlotte, based out of Charlotte, has nearly $9 billion in the bank. That is three times as much as the state has long-term debt, not made by selling software or, or manufacturing widgets, but actually made on the backs of sick people. It, these institutions have lost their mission. And when you look at our website, you can see that a, a report just came out from Johns Hopkins University mm. that talked about the fact that these entities who don't pay sales tax, income tax, or property taxes are receiving nearly $2 billion of tax benefit in our state, and the same would be true in your state, but they're only providing a few hundred million dollars of charity care. And now Rice University, Chris, just came out with another study in North Carolina that talked about the fact that there's probably $175 million worth of individuals in North Carolina who are possibly having their credit rating destroyed when they should have gotten charity care to start with. And this is different than the 60s and 70s when I was growing up. Credit scores determine what you pay for that cell phone, the basic liability insurance on the car that gets you to and from work, whether you get the benefit of the doubt of renting an apartment, and of course what you would pay on an interest rate if you were trying to buy a house. Let me do a quick follow-up on that, and, and this is not an indictment of yeah. the statistics or your style. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming there are back-channel dialogues going on, and you're not just litigating the credibility of these hospitals in the press. Uh, at, well, we've attempted that. We've had meetings and members of the press were invited to these meetings and if we ever have another meeting, uh, the same thing would take place. When the head of the hospital association in a group of 14 people puts his finger out there and says, you're not our customer. To who? To me. I said, we spend nearly $3 billion with your hospitals. He said, that may all be accurate, but you're not the customer. Blue Cross Blue Shield is the customer. So. When we talk about the cartel-like activities, it doesn't just apply to the big hospitals, it also applies to the insurance companies. All we're trying to do, it's so simple for your viewers, mm -hmm. is we're trying to get to clear pricing, get rid of secret contracts, push the power to the consumer so that the consumer can do what they do in every other aspect of their life, which is determine the quality and value. The, our prime examples in this area are Trine Medical. Trine Medical is part of the clear pricing project. There's no secret contracts with Trine Medical. When our state employees go to Trine Medical, they know exactly what they're paying. All the deductibles are removed. Uh, we have Wilmington Health. We have Bethany Medical mm -hmm. up in the, we have 27,000 providers, except all the hospitals, except for three, boycott getting rid of secret contracts. Yeah. Tony, question. Yeah, I mean, where do you think it's going with healthcare? I mean, is it a matter of, a lot of times, you know, you see business organizations, if, if they are kind of fat and happy, they get complacent and they get replaced by mm -hmm. innovators, like, like you're saying, trying uh, medical. I mean, where do you see it going? As a person who lived through the 60s, I can tell you, it wasn't the lawmakers that made the positive changes in our country. It was the music. And the music that's being sung, the music that's being written right now is that people are no, no longer gonna tolerate as the dean said, 20% of their income going to something they don't understand. So that's the music that's being sung right now. 
And it, as I said earlier, it doesn't matter if it's former Treasurer Bowles or Warren Buffett or State Auditor Beth Wood or Senator Elizabeth Warren or anyone else. Everybody knows that something is wrong with health care. And when, especially when people have their, the ability of their credit rating being destroyed, you know, that's what matters. And what's so important about when you ask the question about dialogue and temperature, you know, the citizens out there are greatly mischaracterized. A, they know something's wrong. B, they just want to be spoken to like adults. And what they hear needs to make common sense. And they know that not knowing the price of what they're paying for something at 20% of their income going to doesn't make common sense. Well, might I just give you a little encouragement? Um, if you have a pilot that's working, make sure it gets publicized. If you need any help on that, come down to the Moore School. We'll write yeah. something for you and get it out there. Second comment I would make is that wellness, mm -hmm. I don't think is a thing that's given enough uh, a treatment to because ultimately if we all take more responsibility for our own individual wellness, I suspect we will need less palliative care mm -hmm. and we will get healthier. I mean, we are a very unhealthy society just because of our habits and what we do. Just as a thought, has that, has that surfaced anywhere in your domain? Well, absolutely. Uh, three quick things, uh, going back to the whole issue. Uh, in our North Carolina Constitution, Section 34 says that perpetuities and monopolies are against the free will of our society. It's back, actually been in the Constitution. Yeah. The second thing is that in the Clear Pricing Project, we exalted primary care physicians and paid them more. We exalted mental health specialists, mm -hmm. and we all know the crisis going on in mental health, and paid them more. We've eliminated the cost of anything related to diabetes because the cost of insulin has gone up threefold in the last mm -hmm. seven years. Uh, we've taken advantage of our largeness. We just signed our pharmacy benefit management contract, a three or four billion dollar contract. It's gonna save $700 million just over the next three years. We just uh, a year and a half ago signed our Medicare Advantage contract for our over 65 retirees. And we were able to negotiate that big book of business, zero premium to the member and no cost to the taxpayer or the state health plan. Zero to the member, no cost to the taxpayer. The reason why all this is important and the reason I say the things I say, Chris, is the fact that when I was sworn in as the keeper of the public purse, I inherited a $34 billion unfunded health care mm -hmm. liability. It's where promises were made to state employees after nearly five years of service, after five years, to be eligible for lifetime health care. But unlike the pension plan, which is nearly 90% funded in North Carolina, as compared with the South Carolina plan, only 63% funded, we're very proud of that. Uh, this obligation for lifetime health care was made to the state employees, but no money for 46 years has ever been put aside. Mm -hmm. That's why this is so serious. Not only do you have an inflation of prescription drug costs and health care costs, but you're, we also have a $34 billion unfunded liability, which according to Pew Research puts us right behind the state of Illinois. So two minutes left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is North Carolina? North Carolina and South Carolina both have these fairly large budget surpluses, mm -hmm. billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. How does that need to be deployed? Where does it need to go? It needs to be deployed starting with the beginning of this show in a way that doesn't create its own inflation. You know, oftentimes when I talk about these subjects, people say, well, you're just talking about business. And I have to remind myself every day, the biggest business in this state is the state. The second biggest business are the school districts. The third are the cities and the fourth are the counties. So my point of saying that is that when this money is deployed, we got to make sure they're not putting it out on the street, buying things and doing things with it that end up creating our own inflation where we, only, we don't end up with competitive bid processes. So the number one thing is to have a discipline and a constraint and a forecast 
in that you got to start out like you're going to hold out. So the number one thing for state government is when, the, when this, as this money has come in, we've gotten tens of billions and billions of dollars as this money has come in to absolutely make sure they're not, we're not putting it out in a way that creates our own inflation so that we end up getting more for less for the money that we choose to spend. Is, is teachers, principals, educators, is that, is that an easy one? Are we missing something by not giving them more of a raise that's already been proposed? Well, I, I, I know it's hard to visualize this, but I actually practice yoga and one of the secrets of <laughs> <laughs> See, they said the treasure of humor would be well hidden. I'm, <laughs> Tony got Sorry, it. Sorry, everyone's getting the visual right well, now. Yeah. doing yoga. So, so uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, the secret of yoga is to pay attention to your mat and to breathe. <laughs> and the mat about how much teachers make is, a, is, is squarely with the General Assembly and the governor and the executive branch. My job as state treasurer is I can't determine what people make. I work as hard as we as we can. I'm standing on the shoulders of people at the treasurer's office to make sure they get to keep more of what they make and to make sure that they're a participant in a state, state health care program that's taken advantage of its largeness on behalf of state employees, but also has a, a sustainable pension plan. And that's my job as state treasurer. Uh, thank you, Ronner. I'm still trying to get the idea of you and yoga pants out of my head. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there's a goat involved too. But I, I have a what? Goat, dang, goat yoga. Yeah. <laughs> it's motorcycle yoga. Uh, motorcycle yoga. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for your leadership. Nice to see you again, sir. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, Dean Bruce, always nice to have you here. Good to thank see you, sir. Thank Tony, you. Tony, you as well. Thank Thanks, you. Chris. Uh, you all look healthy. Thank you for watching our program. Uh, until next week, I'm Chris Wedding. We hope you're staying healthy and your business is good. Good night. Happy weekend. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.